0: Finally, from Colossians 3.12, hey, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us gathered here. Lord, take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, Have you seen those bumper stickers that say, uh, Humankind be both? I hate those things. Because look, if there's one thing that I I know about people, it's that being human and being kind uh, don't always go together, right? They aren't natural fits. I consider myself something of an expert on human nature. Um, And it's not because I'm a pastor or because I have an expensive theology degree or a philosophy degree or any of that. It's because I spent three years working as a cashier at HEB. (laughs) And if there is one thing that will reveal a person character better than anything else It's standing in the checkout line at the grocery store, am I right? Yeah, some of you are a little ashamed right now, aren't you? (laughs) You'd always have, you know, a certain number of people who would come through your checkout line who were just awful. I mean, they'd be yelling at you and, and cursing at you, giving you all kinds of verbal and emotional abuse just because their coupon was expired, right? Ma'am, did you check the date? Or, or because they tried to come through the express sign with like a full cart of stuff and I had to say no. Yeah, you did that, didn't you? That's, that was you. I'm telling you, you spend one Saturday working from 9 to 6 at a grocery store, and you will see the very worst that humanity can provide. But the truth is, that's only maybe you know, at most like 10 to 15% of the people who come through. Most people are just sort of neutral. I mean, they come through, you say, Hi, how are you? They just kind of say it back, fine, thanks, and you, and like they don't mean it, right? They don't want to hear how you're doing. Um, but it's fine, they're not being rude, right? They're polite. They don't complain if the coupon doesn't work. Um, they just kind of go through, and then they say thank you, and they leave. And it's okay. That's what most people do. But there, then there's a handful, like one or two, of the, the truly the, the special people who come through. And they're the sort of people who just the, just the instant you see them, right, you cheer up. They have a big old smile on their face. They interact with you the whole time. They crack a few jokes, right? They, they actually make an effort to make you smile and laugh, even though they don't know you. And it would get to the point where it would always be, for whatever reason, it was the same people at the same time every day, right? Those, For whatever reason, the nice folks had a routine and they stuck to it. And so you would see them coming and you would know kind of when they would be there, and everyone would be happy to see that person come through. And even though it might just be one person in the midst of an entire eight-hour shift, right? that, that person brightens your whole day. You may very well go home after serving them and, and someone asks how your day was, and just because of having them come through your checkout line, you'd say, it was a good day. Now, see, that's the power that kindness has on people. It's not like it takes them a whole effort to be nice to the grocery store cashier, right? But it has an outsized effect, right? Low effort, high reward. The truth is, most people are not kind on a regular basis. We may think we are because we do nice things for people, but there's a difference between doing nice things for someone and being kind to them, and being kind is not always a pleasant or enjoyable experience, right? A surgeon cutting out a tumor is doing you a kindness, but it's not fun for anybody involved. Think about uh, the people you treat best in your life. More often than not, they are the people who can do things for you, right? Your boss, right, in my case, the bishop, Uh, Or Trudy, (laughs) your your spouses, right? Your in-laws, your friends, people people who, if you're nice to them, they'll be nice to you back, right? In effect, what we do more often than being kind to people is we manipulate them, right? We do something nice, hoping that that then inspires, in turn, them to do something nice for us. Now, that's not actually a bad thing. Okay, manipulate sounds like a really it's not a fun word, but it's it's not a bad thing, right? It's actually part of how God designed human relationships to work. It's this sort of reciprocal behavior. We do something nice for you, you do something nice for me. It builds up the relationship, it establishes trust. There are good things to it. But we confuse it with kindness. Because at the end of the day, kindness is what you do for those who cannot do for you. Kindness is is what you do for someone who can never in any way, shape, or form pay you back for what you've just done. Now, we all do this on a small degree, right? We might every so often do something genuinely kind to someone we don't know. Or we might, you know, buy a... a, bunch of flowers for our wife without expecting anything in return although I've not heard of that being done by anybody Um, (laughs) right or (laughs) Um, maybe sometimes we do that and then there are things we do at the church that are acts of kindness right We, we have a food pantry here so Ellen works at that that's undoubtedly an act of kindness those people can't give you anything in return for the food you hand out it's kind no question And we're all actually pretty good at when the church does something that's like an outreach for the community. We're pretty good at being kind in those moments. We show up, we give people things, we help them out with stuff. We don't expect anything in return. We go home feeling pretty good about ourselves. We know that we've done a good deed. No question about it. But ask yourself, are you the kind of person who's going to brighten your grocery store cashier's day? We serve a God who is unfailingly kind to us. If you ever doubt that, read the book of Exodus and all that God does for the Israelites as they go through the desert. Because I can tell you, if you read that, it it reads like the road trip from... Well, I'm not going to say the curse word because I don't know how we react to that. It's, It's not fun, right? The Israelites complained the whole time. Oh, God, you took us out of Egypt. They fed us meat in Egypt. Did you know we got meat in Egypt? We don't have meat out here. We want something to eat. Will you give us fresh water? It's so hot, Lord. You took us out here to die. Right, They sound like kids in the back of the minivan six hours into an eight-hour road trip. I mean, they literally tell God, Lord, you just brought us out into the desert to die, didn't you? Right? They're whiny little brats the whole way through. And what does God do? He gives them birds to eat. He gives them manna from heaven. He brings forth fresh water from the rock, and he only threatens to kill them a couple of times. <laughs> God is kind to them. There's nothing they can do in return. Right? They can't possibly pay him back. But he's kind to them the whole way. And he expects us in turn to be kind to other people. In this story in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is sitting and he's teaching, which is what he always does, and these men bring their friend to him. And right away, by the way, this is kind of a special story, because this man's paralyzed, which means he's got nothing. Okay he, he can't work he can't provide for himself he's entirely dependent on the charity of others. And these men are not his family. Otherwise it would have said his parents or his brothers or his cousins or someone he knew brought him they're just his friends. And that on its own is extraordinary. That does not happen in this day and age. You can give them nothing back. They're probably taking care of him. They are likely giving him all his food, all his water, all his water, all his clothing because he can't buy it himself. He can give nothing back, and still they are his friends. That alone would be a pretty good story. But instead, we've got this. They bring him to where Jesus is, and they realize they can't get him up to to actually where Jesus is sitting, because the crowd is so thick. And instead of giving up like I would do, and just saying, nope, too many people, we're going home. They decide, for some bizarre reason, that the best course of action now is to climb on the roof and dig their way through it. Now, I don't know what thought process went into that, but these are not like straw or thatched roofs or anything. This is clay and brick. To get through it, you have to sort of hack at it and chisel through it and dig your way through it. It's not a quick process and it's not a quiet process. So you can imagine Jesus is sitting in this room and he can hear the sound above him of people hacking through the roof and there's dust falling and the sound of chisels. And you can imagine maybe the people around him are looking at each other like, should, is that supposed to happen? Jesus, should we maybe get out of the room? And Jesus just keeps on teaching until eventually they break through, which would have been just like a pile of rubble falling into the middle of the room loud and noisy and dirty. And then out of the hole in the ceiling comes this paralyzed man on a bed, lowering himself slowly down to the floor. It's like a scene out of comedy. This is like a Monty Python sketch. And the first thing Jesus does is forgive his sins. And my favorite part is that the only reason he heals his paralysis is because the people in the room thought Jesus was getting a little uppity, Right? His response when they say, are you sure you can forgive sins? Is, oh, you don't think I can forgive sins, do you? Ha, watch this. And he heals him. Now, unquestionably, again, Jesus is being kind to this man. There's nothing this guy could ever possibly do to repay Jesus back, either for forgiving his sins or for healing his body. But the greatest act of kindness is from the man's friends who stopped at nothing to get him to the one person they knew could fix him. We're good at being kind in in certain situations with certain people. right? When all the conditions are right and all the stars have lined up, we can be kind to people. But God actually commands us to be kind at all times to all people. Now, he understands, of course, that we will fail at that from time to time. But that's the standard. That's the goal. And the reason is simple. Um, the, these virtues that Paul has listed in Colossians, right? Compassion and kindness and humility and, and patience, which is not my favorite one. They're, uh, they're, they're things that have an ultimate purpose. But they're all you don't practice it often enough. You're not good enough at it to use it when it counts. If you aren't being kind all the time, it's like a muscle. You have to exercise it and train it. You have to do it often enough that it becomes like a reflex. Because here's the thing, the ultimate act of kindness is to bring someone to Jesus. To bring someone you know and love to the one person you know can save them. I know that this church has lofty goals for itself. Right? I mean, I've seen the Vision 751 stuff. You want 500 people. Now, believe it or not, that's actually not an unreasonable number. right? It's within the realm of possibility. In my experience, people set these, these goals, and then what they do is you know, the new pastor comes in, and he's you know, like really handsome and has a great beard. And he preaches really well. And, and then they think, great, problem solved. Go do your pastor thing. It doesn't work like that. Or they, they you know, look at how great their music is on Sunday morning. Or, or they start some kind of new program during the week. And they put flyers up all over town make sure everyone knows what's going on in the church, and they think, great, problem solved. The unfortunate truth, however, is no matter how good of a preacher I may be, and you're only a month in, so you don't know that I'm that good, right? But no matter how good I I am now or how good I could become, my preaching will not bring new people through those doors. No matter how great the music is, it will not bring new people through those doors. And no matter how wonderful your Sunday school class is, no matter how great all the programs we have is, no matter how wonderful and vibrant the youth and children's ministry are, they will not bring new people through those doors. Now those are the sorts of things that might keep someone here once they've come in. All of that's good. But they don't bring the folks here in the first place. It's, it's not like a lure where you're fishing and you're hoping something takes a bite. right? It doesn't work that way. and this is not my opinion by the way this is this is well established fact surveys and research have gone into this we know beyond all doubt that 90 plus percent of people who are not churched and who come to a church for the first time do it because a family member or a friend invited them over 90% now listen we all want a church to grow but a church doesn't grow if new people aren't coming in. And everything else that we do, it doesn't matter if the church isn't growing. There is no such thing as a stagnant church or a church that's plateaued or a church that's stable. A church is either growing or it's declining. There's no middle ground. So, if you aren't having new people come in, your church is going downhill. Which means everything you do, the preaching, the preaching, the music and the youth and the kids and the programming. None of it matters if you aren't bringing in people you know to come to church with you. Plain and simple. My preaching is irrelevant if you aren't inviting people to come hear it. The music is irrelevant if you aren't inviting people to come hear it. It's all wonderful stuff. We have great music. I think your preacher's all right. The youth are great. The kids are great. Everything this church does, it does pretty well. But if we aren't bringing in the new people to participate in it, all we're doing is stalling. We're slowing down the decline at best. Now, I know what you're thinking. All my friends already go to church. Yeah, but our church is better. In all seriousness, just because just, just you know someone who, who goes to another church doesn't mean you can't invite them to come to church with you. What happens if they walk in here and they think, you know what, actually, I, I feel like my spiritual needs are met better here than they were at my old church. Isn't it better then that they come to us? And the reverse is true, right? I mean, don't tell the other pastors, but I'm okay with them. But obviously the goal is to get people who aren't part of a church all together. And I'll tell you this you know more people who do not have a church home than you think you do. I can guarantee it. Because see, here's what people do, right? They, they go to church on Christmas and Easter, and they go to the same church on Christmas and Easter, and they've gone to the same church on Christmas and Easter for 30 years, and when you ask them where they go to church, that's the church they name. And they maybe go, like when the fishing's bad, they might show up at church on a Sunday morning. But, or, or maybe you know, they go once a month when they remember to wake up in time for it. The reality is most people who say they go to church are not in church all that often. Most people who call themselves Christian, really, it's just a title they give themselves. So you know more people who need Jesus than you think you do. And we're not not talking about saying, hey, you should come to my church one day. We're talking about saying, would you come to church with me this week? And then like picking them up if they need a ride, meeting them at the door, sitting with them in worship, maybe taking them out to lunch, actually making them your guest in the church. See, that's what gets people to come. Nothing else. So see, I I can tell you right now, this is the sort of thing I'm going to push you to do over and over and over again because it is the only thing that grows a church. Without it, nothing else is going to do anything. And at the end of the day, it's just an act of kindness. Knowing that someone you love needs to be in the presence of Jesus. Needs to hear the good news. And stopping at nothing to get them there. So when Paul tells the Christians in Colossians that they need to be kind, it's not just a frivolous little thing. It's not just a matter of practicing random acts of kindness to brighten someone's day. It's doing those sorts of things knowing that you are training for the ultimate goal. It's it's doing those sorts of things knowing it's exactly what God would do for you and what he has, in fact, already done for you. He urges us to be kind, to have kind hearts, to practice it day after day after, day after person We meet whether we know them or not. Because he knows that the ultimate act of kindness is, is to bring someone to Jesus, and that if you haven't been flexing that muscle every day, when the opportunity finally comes, you won't be ready. And that person will miss out. So the question for you is, who are you going to bring? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.